Eating is one of the first, most basic things we do after we're born, and something we continue doing daily, several times a day, in fact, for the rest of our lives. Eating is good, but it can also be our downfall, which we're going to look at on today's episode. First 15 Podcast is brought to you by Word of Prayer, and I'm Ron. I'll be your guide on this journey. Welcome if you're new to our podcast, and if you've been listening a while, thanks for your support. What we do here is we make it a practice to read the Bible as we listen to God speak to us, and then we meditate on the Word and frame what we've heard into a prayer to God. Subscribe or follow the podcast if you haven't already. Season 5 of our podcast is focused on learning to listen and pray through narrative or Bible stories, which are very common throughout the Bible. We've heard the beginning. We lingered in the garden. We've seen that creation was full of goodness. God gave a lush garden with trees full of fruit to the first couple so they could eat anytime without much effort. Now, I look around today and I don't see a garden. My wife Angela reminds me that planning meals every day and eating takes real effort. So, what happened? Well, we find out today in Genesis 3. We can read the stories in the Bible at a superficial level, and they can seem pretty simple and charming. But when you meditate on them, you see that they are like deep waters or rich earth. There's a lot going on under the surface. That is even more remarkable because we notice that Bible stories are pretty sparing with details and descriptions. When they do get into details, it's usually for a very good reason, and it's time to sit up and pay attention. So let's listen to the very human story found in Genesis 3 now. And like last time, I'm going to leave some of the words in this story untranslated from Hebrew so you can hear this story in a fresh way with some of the original connections. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. He said to Isha, the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Isha said to the serpent, We can eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to Isha, You won't die. Not really, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When Isha saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And then she gave some to her Ish, her husband, with her, and he ate. Their eyes were opened, and they both knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the breeze of the day, and Adam, the man, and his Isha hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. Yahweh God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. 
God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam said, The Isha whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Yahweh God said to Isha, What is this you have done? Isha said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all livestock and more than every beast of the field. You shall go on your belly and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and Isha and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. To Isha, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in your pregnancies. You will bear children in pain. Your longing will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you have listened to your Isha's voice and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Adama, the ground, is cursed because of you. In pain you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will yield thorns and thistles to you, and you will eat the herb of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your face until you return to the Adama, for you were taken out of it. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam called his Isha Eve, life, because she was mother of all the living. Yahweh God made animal skin tunics for Adam and his Isha and clothed them. Yahweh God said, Look, Adam has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, Yahweh God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the Adamah from which he was taken. So he drove out Adam and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's Genesis 3 verses 1 through 24, the whole chapter. And now we're going to spend a few minutes reflecting on this. First, something clearly odd is going on here. Talking serpents? I mean, that's highly unusual. And yet, the story doesn't pause to explain it at all. It says the serpent is cunning, which in Hebrew sounds really similar to naked, one of the last words in chapter 2. The words are really close together. Arum, arim. So, the conversation that he has with the woman, with Isha, is a lot like a naked power play where he puts doubt into the picture, contradicting God's word, lying or half-lying to the woman. But notice this too. There is no domination or coercion going on here. Yes, the serpent questioned. He spoke deceptively. He spoke falsely, in fact. But the woman was not forced to do anything. So the question comes up, for me at least, why does she listen to the serpent? 
Why doesn't she obey God's commands? Why not value God's word over what the serpent says? And in fact, another question comes up to me. Where is her husband all this time? Because God gave the command originally to Adam, even before creating his Isha. So where is Adam? Why doesn't he speak up? Why doesn't he get involved or intervene? Genesis 3 verse 6 is worth another look. I'll read it again. It said, When Isha saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. Then she gave some to her Ish, her husband, with her, and he ate. Many of the words used in Genesis 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters, are really important, and they get repeated later on in the stories of the Bible at key points, either verbatim or they're echoed. That means slightly different words are used, but the concept gets repeated. And this particular story that we call the fall, some of the elements and the even the words, the verbal links, I can think of at least five or six stories off the top of my head that are key points in Scripture in which almost these exact same words, or at least the echoes of these words, are used at key points when people have to make a decision. And frankly, they make wrong decisions. They sin. So let's look a little bit closer at this verse, Genesis 3, verse 6. First of all, the woman saw. So there's a clear visual component to the temptation. The woman saw that the tree was good. So far in this story, only God has called things good or not good. There's a temptation for people to define their own good, what's good for them or not, apart from what God says. That's really the core of the story. Who is going to have the final word about what's good and not good? What else did she see besides the fact that the tree was good for food? It says the tree was pleasant to the eyes and also desirable to make one wise or knowing. Again, I have questions that come up. Where is the pause? Why doesn't she take time to remember what God has said? It doesn't happen. It says in the very next phrase, just immediately, she took some of its fruit and ate. And the next thing that happens, she gave some to her ish with her and he ate. So if you just boil that sentence down to its simplest elements, it's pretty direct. She took and ate, she gave, and he ate. There's no discussion recorded. The action isn't explained or commented on. This narration is really simple yet direct. The man, Adam, made from the Adamah, given rule over creation, with all his food provided, a perfect helper also provided and commanded by God to serve and to guard or to keep, fails to lead, fails to teach, fails to reach out his hand in a protective action to keep his Isha from taking of the fruit. Instead, he follows her in greedy, grasping, and just simply eats. The next thing in the story that I find striking is what doesn't happen. They don't drop dead. The story says, in fact, in verse 7, their eyes were opened and they both knew that they were naked. 
Now, that's not quite what the serpent said would happen. He said they would be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. It doesn't seem that the fruit made them wise and knowing like God. Instead, it made them disobedient, ashamed and afraid. It sent them hiding from God. And when God shows up, it just leads to them blaming, and then it leads to cursing and pain. I mentioned that this story is known as the fall, and falling down isn't fun. When I was about 12 years old, I remember falling off a wall onto a stone pavement below, and I sprained my foot. It was quite a fall. It hurt for quite a while. I limped around while it healed over the next several weeks. That was a painful fall that I still remember. The plot in Genesis 3 is traditionally called the fall since it tells of mankind's fall from favor and close relationship with God. It's not that God rejects woman or man. In fact, Adam and Isha are not even cursed. Only the serpent and the ground are cursed because of their sin. It's woman and man that disobey God's command. It's we who choose to know good and evil apart from God. The key points of conflict in the story is not uh, an angry or vindictive God. The key points of conflict in the story are driven by deception and man's desire, disobedience, disillusionment, and the distress that follows from all of that. Now, if you put it in theological terms, we can talk about sin, pain, and death. In chapter 2, we focused on the characters of Yahweh God, the Creator, Adam, or man, and Isha, the Hebrew term that does double duty for woman as well as wife. The close relationship between these characters remains in focus in chapter 3, but a rival enters the picture in the form of the serpent. The serpent approaches Isha and plants seeds of doubt deception, and desire. She loses no time in pursuing these, and she finds a willing partner in Adam. The relationship with Yahweh God is ruptured, and at the same time, a perpetual rivalry between the woman and the serpent, or rather the seed or offspring of the woman and the serpent, is prophesied in Genesis 3 verse 15. I'll read it again. I will put enmity between you and and Isha, this is God speaking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Now this is a prophecy pointing forward to the Messiah, to God's son, born of woman. The serpent would bruise the Messiah's heel, causing him to stumble before he rises again. But the Messiah will bruise the serpent's head in a mortal blow. Much of the stories that follow in the Bible are going to be about this ongoing struggle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of woman, between the forces of life and death, and which is going to have the upper hand. Now, there's many other things that we could explore in this story. The vocabulary used here is going to be repeated and echoed in many of the following stories, like we mentioned already. And we'll return to this point in some future episodes. For now, just two final points. Isha is given a proper name. 
She's named for the second time uh, in the story so far. Eve, which in Hebrew means life. The references to life as well as death in this passage are a really important clue to the overall theme of the story. In fact, that's something that you could meditate on and just grow deeper on rereading and meditating on all the references to life, the tree of life, and about death and about Eve and the mother of the living and just everything that is detailed in chapter 3. The other point is this couple's departure from the garden, their exile. The serpent didn't mention that as a consequence of choosing to eat and having their eyes open. In fact, it didn't mention that with eyes open, they would see their nakedness and feel afraid and want to hide from God. The truth is God doesn't want them to live in fear. In fact, he doesn't want them to live forever in this ongoing state of shame, regret, and mutual blame. So he sends them out of the garden and guards the way to the tree of life until a way back into relationship with him can be made. Let's pause now and pray together from this passage of Scripture. God, our Father, you created us good in your image. You gave us a purpose, and we have chosen to go our own way. We've chosen to know good and evil on our own terms, apart from you, to turn aside from you. We live daily with the effects of that in our life and in this world. Thank you, God, that this is not the final word, that there is still a tree of life and that your own seed has defeated the serpent. You have shown us grace and you keep showing love to us even in your discipline. You want us to turn back to you and enjoy true blessedness, not the disappointment of broken relationships and disillusionment that always comes from choosing our own way apart from you. God, I want to really live and praise you and serve you today. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many points of connection between this story and your own story. I'm wondering, can you see a few of them now? Are they present just right there in front of you? I hope so, and I want to keep this both real and concrete. So let me speak to a couple of the themes that the story brings up. If you have fallen, or if you fall today, know that you haven't fallen completely out of God's favor, or fallen so far that His grace can't bring you back. Second, when you eat today, and I'm talking about real foods, anytime you eat today, pause to reflect on how God gives us food to bless us, not as a way to send us into hiding. God wants our eating and our drinking to be for strengthening our bodies and not just for indulging our desires for something more, something that only He can give us. So as you eat and drink, turn your heart toward God and ask Him to fill you. Ask Him to give you good things. And finally, Another point of intersection between this story and your own story. God's story centers on life, and it brings us 
back to life. Satan's desire is to steal, to kill, and destroy. God wants to give us true and lasting life. So in the different choices that you face today, in the decisions you make, choose life today. Our choices or decisions are important. They have real consequences. In the next episode, we're going to see how the consequences of choosing one way or another literally writes our own life story. I really look forward to sharing more with you then. My prayer is that you are growing deeper in faith and closer to God each day. Let me hear from you as you listen to our podcast. You can find us at wordofprayer.com. That's with dashes. You can also find us on our social media channels at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Your support of our podcast means more than you realize. Whether you get one of our books on Amazon or find just the right gift or a product on our Etsy store, or maybe you honor us by sharing this with someone else to bless them, we are truly thankful. Check out our show notes in the program description or go to wordofprayer.com if you want details. God's story is one of life and fullness. Enjoy it fully today.